0: Uh, Well, Welcome back to our sermon series at the movies. Uh, I love movies because I love stories, and stories uh, are very, very powerful means to convey truth. I think that's why so much of the Bible is made up of stories, of narrative. I think that's why the Lord Jesus chose uh, to speak so often in stories. The story we're going to look at this morning is a story called The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman it's about the life of P.T. Barnum, the founder of Barnum & Bailey Circus. How many of you went to the circus when you were a kid growing up anytime or as an adult? Oh, yeah, I remember going up to East Rutherford, New Jersey to Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey uh, Circus. I was just mystified by the trapeze artists, the, the ringmaster, the elephants, uh, breathing fire. And, uh, it, it's just an amazing spectacle, a menagerie of, of all these strange people with different gifts and different talents. And uh, all of this kind of started about 150 years ago. Uh, And that story is told in this film, the story of P.T. Barnum. He created a new form of art. And he said famously, the noblest art is that of making others happy. P.T. Barnum had this vision. He had this dream. And he took this group of of misfits, uh, outcasts, and, and people who were rejected and marginalized by society, and he put them right in center stage. The music in this movie is just fantastic. The the theme song repeats these words. So tell me, do you want to go where it's covered in all the colored lights, where where the runaways are running the night? Impossible comes true. It's taking over you. Oh, this is the greatest show. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here right in front of you. This is where you want to be. And so Barnum had this dream where he would take outcasts and make them the main event and it was wildly popular and so just to get a feel for this musical let's watch the trailer for this movie check this out Can i add your attention you're all dismissed
1: bankrupt better luck with your next job To the dark. Whew. This is not the life I promised you. They not even close. Because we don't want your broken parts. Girls, I think I've had an idea. Look out, cause here I come. And the to the PT Barnum, at your service. To seen, I'm putting together a show. I need a star. Every one of us is special, and nobody is like anyone else. That's the point of my show, Birdie. Showtime.
0: can't just run off and join the circus why
1: not I mean you clearly have a flair for show business for show business mm-hmm. I've never heard of it because I just invented it
0: did you catch what he said in answer to that question he said this I want to create a place where everyone is special and nobody is like anybody else that's the point of my show I have a word for P.T. Barnum. That is copyright infringement on The Lord of Lords, who had this same vision about the kingdom of God 2,000 years earlier. It's a movie about this family of misfits who comes together for God's greatest show on earth. Isn't that supposed to be the mission of the church? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the church is there for entertainment purposes. All analogies break down at some point, right? But what I'm saying is, isn't this where God takes all different kinds of people, brings them together, people who may not even fit in, different talents, different ages and stages and races and backgrounds, and brings them all together for one common purpose? Uh, Let me just remind you of these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, He says this, "'Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ.' For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Now, I think we hear about this concept or we listen to that verse and we we love the idea of this. But yet, if we're honest with ourselves, practically, we would have to admit this is not that easy to live out, is it? When the rubber hits the road, that's another story. It's actually not that easy for a bunch of different kind of people to come together for a common purpose. That's challenging. I tend to think if everybody in the church was just like me, we could deal with each other a lot better, right? It would be a lot easier. If only everybody was like me, then we'd get along just fine. But, but then we come to church and nobody acts exactly like us, and that's what makes it so challenging. I tend to think, can't they just be more outgoing like me or more bold like me or more sensitive like me or more, you know, conscientious like me? But that's not how God works. What God does is he takes two very different things and then brings them together to make one thing out of the two. That's God's heart for his church. And so how do we live out a vision like that? And how does this relate to the movie? Well, I think there's at least three themes in this movie that resonate with biblical truth. There are three needs inside of the human heart. Uh, There is the need for belonging. There's the need for purpose. And then there's the need for identity. The, the, The need for belonging is all about this question, who wants me? the need for purpose is all about this question, why am I alive? And then the need for identity is perhaps the biggest question, who am I? If you remember, these are very similar themes that were drawn out of the movie last week, and that's because they are universal needs inside of every human heart. But how do we get those needs met? That's the question and the topic I want to address with you this morning. So uh, before we get into the word, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just rejoice in this beautiful day today. We we, we remember um, what you have done for us. And as we have just seen dramatized for us uh, physically, we remember the spiritual realities that we were buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. So help us to see these truths afresh in your word this morning. Uh, Turn the sprinklers on and let us all uh, be rocked by your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, have your way with us. Open up our ears to hear and our hearts to, most of all, listen to what your Spirit is saying. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So let me start with that first need, the need uh, number one there, the need for belonging. What was so compelling about this movie to me was that Barnum takes this group of people who felt ashamed, who, who felt alienated, who felt like they didn't belong anywhere, these folks were shunned by their society. But Barnum said, I want, I want to make you a star. And he embraced them, and he provided a sense of hope and purpose and belonging that they had not yet known. He, he gave them a family. Like, for example, Barnum recruited people like Annie Jordan, the bearded lady that covered her face with hair, who traveled the country and was even invited to perform before Queen Victoria he went and he found these two Siamese twins who had this rare medical condition, not understood because of their appearance in their time. Uh, The center of his show was, of course, Tom Thumb. He was a dwarf, but he was a talented singer, actor, and performer. I want to show you a clip of where Barnum finds Tom Thumb, as well as a few other stars in his show, uh, starting with Tom Thumb, whose real name was Charles Sherwood stratton and he gives them an invitation to be part of this major production check this out
1: you must be gertrude stratton i'm looking for your son i don't have a son the hospital record says you do charles right age 22. charles Charles! Putee Barnum, at your service. I am putting together a show, and I need a star. You want people to laugh at me? Well, i are laughing anyway, kid, so might as well get paid. I see a soldier. No, a general. Riding across the stage with a sword and a gun and, and and the most beautiful uniform ever made. People will come from all over the world, and when they see him, they won't laugh. They'll salute. Girls. Hey, you looking for freaks? I know where you can find one of them. Really? Come on, girls. Hello. Sir, you shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. I, who's doing this singing? you, isn't it? Sir, I have to ask you to leave. You are so talented, blessed. Extraordinary. Unique. I would even say beautiful. <laughs> Sir, please leave me alone. Sam, but they will.
0: Now, at this point, people might raise an objection, and they might say, well, wait a minute, why, why was he doing all of that? Wasn't, wasn't Barnum out for just making a buck. And people rightly raise an objection about his motivations here. And today, we would probably all raise an ethical question about platforming people for financial profit because of their physical abnormalities. And we would probably speak about exploitation and we would be correct. But what I want you to see is that 150 years ago, in his day, it was very, very different. Uh, Prior to joining the circus, these people were social... Outcasts. They didn't even go out in public. Moms would, would see them walking down the street and they would shepherd their children to the other side of a street. They were avoided, ostracized, seen as misfits. You don't associate with those kind of people. Which, if we're honest, isn't really that dissimilar from our culture today. And it wasn't that dissimilar in Bible times either. Anybody with a physical abnormality or a physical disability was often shunned. People thought if if that had happened to someone, then that was directly because of their sin. They're they're not being blessed by God. It's obvious that they have been cursed by God. And so people would look down on anyone with any sort of abnormalities or differences. Now, long before the days of P.T. Barnum, an obscure carpenter from Nazareth came, not with a top hat and a tuxedo, but with a robe and a pair of sandals, And the question the crowds were asking is, what is Jesus' reaction going to be to those on the outside, the diseased? Look at John chapter 9. It says, As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now listen to his answer. He says, Neither. 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 Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Neither. He corrects what was a severe misunderstanding. And we see this again and again and again throughout the Gospels. Jesus reaches out and and heals and brings close those who are on the margins. Take a look at another passage from Luke chapter 7. It says, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, and and the good news is proclaimed to the rich and famous. No, no. The good news is proclaimed even to the poor. Again and again and again, Jesus reaches out to the outcast, the, the physically outcast, the lame, the sick, the leper. And the morally outcasts as well. He reaches out to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. And so just for a moment, would you connect with that part of yourself that feels like an outsider, that doesn't feel like you quite belong, that feels like you yourself struggle with some kind of shame? And listen to these words from Pastor Rick Warren. Jesus came for the chewed up, the crossed out, and the crying out. He came for the dropped out, the edged out, and the fizzled out. He came for the have-nots, the held back, the hung-over, and the knocked around. He came for the torn up, the thrown away, and the turned off. He came for those who are used up and walked over. He came for the washed out, the worn out, and the wiped out. To put it simple, he came for me, and he came for you. That's the good news. The good news is that despite our defects, our moral defects even, our sin, which rightfully put us on the outside god in his grace makes a way through jesus to bring us back to the inside because of his work on the cross that's the gospel that's what the church proclaims the church is god's circus of misfits it's the one place in the world where the broken and the hurting and the rejected can find a place to belong and can find purpose and love right here point number one god takes those on the outside and brings them on the inside. Can we say that together? God takes those on the outside and brings them on the inside. Amen. He takes those on the margins and brings them into the inner circle. He takes those who don't belong and gives them a home. He takes those who are alienated and makes them part of his own family. The kingdom of God is is this place where the people of this world who've been made made to feel like outsiders are given a new sense of belonging in the house of God, a place of love, a place where they can feel like home. Now, as you might imagine, in Barnum's day, not everybody shared his vision here. In fact, he experienced a lot of opposition from different parts of society. First, there were the the low element of society, the thugs who who didn't want these kind of freaks in their town. But then there was also rejection from the high element of society as well, who struggled with deep-seated issues of bigotry and racism, who rejected them as well. And this comes up in the film also. Watch this painful encounter of racist rejection. Check this out.
1: Philip, is that you? Mother, father, this is Anne Wheeler. Philip, have you no shame? Associating yourself with that Barnum business is one thing, but parading around with their help. Anne, Anne. Anne. You forget your place, Philip.
0: My place? Mother, if this is my place, then I don't want any part of it. It's amazing how cruel human beings can be to one another, isn't it? Why are we so uncomfortable with people who are different from us? One of the reasons might be that we all want to feel like insiders, and the only way for us to feel like that is to make someone else an outsider. An outsider. That's the sin nature inside of us. Now, just to clarify, I know we're living in a polarized age where it seems like everything is being called racism, e- even if it's not. So don't hear me wrong here. But even with that said, I think we all know real racism does exist. And we need to recognize it when it's there, not ever attempt to justify it. Instead, we have to have the courage to call it out and speak against it. Because it's not just socially wrong. It's an affront to our creator God, who has made them in his own image. Amen? He's broken down the dividing wall. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says regarding Jesus, "...for he himself is our peace." Who has made the two groups one, that's Jew and Gentile, who are paradigmatic for all racial tensions? He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. It's not that race and ethnicity are unimportant or that they don't matter. It's just that all other sources of our identity are always secondary to our identity in Christ. That is the message that the church proclaims. That is actually the answer to racial tension. Now, to create this kind of welcoming environment inside of a church, what we have to remember is that we, too, were once on the outside. We, too, were once outsiders. See, for people like me, I need to remember that the center of my faith is not white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism. I remember when it first dawned on me that the children's Bibles I had in my home were actually not correct. There is no such thing as a Caucasian, blue-eyed, English-speaking Jesus. That, That guy doesn't actually exist in history. Instead, the hope of the universe rested on the back of a Middle Eastern Jewish man with much darker features than I have, and he never spoke a word of English. Yet, he still included me. I was the other. I was the outsider. I was the ends of the earth. And yet, he included us. We need to remember this, church. And so that's the theme I think this movie brings out so well, this unity in the midst of diversity and giving people a place where they can feel like they belong despite their differences. And so that leads us to the second point I think the movie brings out today, the need for purpose. If the church is God's circus, the greatest show on earth, then what that means is that you're not the audience, you're the act. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works and uh, let your light so shine before men. You've been loved and forgiven, but then set free to live for him on purpose. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see the church? We are this collection of broken misfits brought together by the grace of God alone when we didn't deserve it, when we least expected it, and then we're given this new sense of purpose. Do you remember this sign they showed in the movie? Looking for a unique persons, uh, curiosities. Barnum goes on this search and finds people with all these different talents. He finds the world's heaviest man. He, he finds a tall guy that he calls the Irish giant. He he gets these trap-ease artists from the minority culture, and he he goes to the margins to find the stars for his show. Does that remind you of anyone? Where did our Lord Jesus go to find the stars for his show? The temple? The palace? The place of the elite? No, he goes and gets Matthew, a tax collector, a a traitor, an outcast, a moral misfit, deeply disturbing for religious people. He goes down to the fishing docks and grabs James and John, fishermen who can't even read, misfits. And then he chooses them to be part of his show. I love this verse in Acts chapter four. Peter and John are about to address the the large council. And it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary Men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They're astonished. Like, how come these guys are turning the world upside down? Why are they able to make such a huge difference? Now, the word for unschooled there means without letters. They didn't have a theological education formally. But the word for ordinary there is actually the Greek word idiotase. That's where we get our word idiot. (laughs) It literally means amateur, unprofessional, layman. I think this is important because for some of us, I think we think it really is difficult for us to imagine God using us. We see gifted and talented and good-looking people like Johnny Graves, and we tend to think, (laughs) how's God ever going to use somebody like me? But I want to give you some really good news today. Listen, if you're here and you're like the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, the top of your class, the best-looking, the most talented athlete, then God can still use you. It's just that he specializes in using idiots. I want to give you some really good news today. If you're here and you're like really smart, really talented, God can still use you. It's just he has this specialization of making trophies for his grace and using ordinary people like me. I remember a couple of months ago, I was up here at the front and I was serving communion and I had read the scriptures and I prayed for the, the bread and then we moved to the cup and then we had this holy moment going and then out of the corner of my eye, I saw that the, the, the bowls that we used to stack the, the bread, the body of Christ there symbolically, began to lean like the Tower of Pisa. And I had something else in my hand, and and before I could get to it and and catch what was about to happen, lo and behold, every single bowl tipped over upside down. It looked like it was snowing communion wafers in here for about what seemed to me like an eternity. I tell you that story because you are part of a church being led by at least one idiot. That that I can tell you for sure. But here's why I think that's good news. None of us should really feel adequate to handle such holy things. Jot this point down, number 2. When it comes to purpose, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Amen. Can we say that together? God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. When Jesus selected his inner circle, who did he assemble? He assembled the broken, the outcast, the uneducated, the ordinary, the overlooked. If you apply for a job out there in the secular world, you got to get your resume together. Finish your education, get your license, get your credentials, get your experience. That's all fine, well, and good. But in here, God is looking for a bunch of ordinary people who just believe him at his word and think he can do what he says he can do, Period. If you study the Bible, you see God uses people of all kinds for his kingdom. Now, let me give you a warning. If you say yes to this calling, if you say yes to God and his purpose for your life, there's going to be this voice inside of your head that just shows up. If, if you're like me, and the voice is going to say something to you on a regular basis like this, you're not qualified. Well, who do you think you are? Why would you ever think that you could lead something like that? Why would you ever think you can serve God? Why would you ever think you could be in the ministry? You're the last person that should ever be serving the Lord. Who do you think you are? Anybody else recognize that voice? Yeah. Yeah. When you hear that voice, I just want you to remember that you have actually been invited by the ringmaster himself to be part of his show. The invitation did not come because of you. It came from outside of you, and he has given you the pass. Pass. Do you remember when you were in elementary school and the teacher would have an errand that she needed to have run, and uh, she would say, "I need somebody to run something down to the principal's office." Who would like to do this gigantic favor? And of course, all of our hands. Yeah, me. That's me. Give me. Let me go run this errand for you. And of course, uh, when we had to go outside in the hallway as elementary school kids, in order to uh, be able to be out in the hallway, they had to give you a what? A hall pass. Right? So if you walk out the door and you're walking down the hallway and the teacher's there and says, hey, what are you doing outside here in the hallway in the middle of the class? You say, what? Oh, right here, hall pass. (laughs) Keep on walking. Thank you. Turn the corner. You go to another uh, hallway. There's a hall monitor there. Hey, 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 what are you you doing out here in the hallway? Got my hall pass. Headed to the principal's office. Friends, when you hear that voice inside of your head, saying, hey, you're not qualified. Here's what I want you to do. Actually, this book says that I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Actually, the hall pass says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Actually, this book says I've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. Actually, this book says I am his workmanship and he's created good works for me to do in advance. I may not be the best of the best or the brightest of the brightest, But my God came down and invited me to be part of his show. That's what you say to that voice. And that leads us to point number three, the question of identity. The question of identity is all about this question, who am I? Now, we are living in a culture where the answer to this question basically surrounds the idea of self-discovery. It's all about raising your level of self-awareness. That's the key to the good life, to thine own self be true, just be yourself, find out who you are, look inside, that kind of thing. Our kids get a steady diet of this kind of self-esteem teaching in public school throughout their 12 years. That's not actually what Christianity teaches about identity. Christianity, the gospel says, yes, you are incredibly Uh, complex. God has made you wonderfully in his image. You have unbelievable worth because you are a creation of God. However, the gospel also teaches that you have been wounded and broken by the fall and you have walked away from your creator. There's a sin nature living inside of you that does not want to submit to God's law. And despite what Barney the dinosaur told you, (laughs) you are not perfect just the way that you are. You're actually not okay. You are more like the character in Moby Dick who said, I am dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. There's a problem. We need a savior. And that's the good news. We have such a savior who came to give us a new identity. And so there's two sides to the gospel message. You are more sinful than you ever really Knew about, but you're also more loved than you could ever dare imagine. And because of this love, our Lord Jesus came, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, was raised to life in order to give us this identity. The gospel is not about self discovery, the gospel is about transformation. It's about a new identity that we find in Christ. There are two selves, the old self and the new self. We saw this picture perfectly in baptism, right? The old self needs to die, the new self has been raised to new life. Amen. And that new self is glorious. Amen. It is glorious. And God sees you as already complete. Which is going to lead me to the last clip I wanted to show today. There's this scene towards the end of the movie where the misfits are not invited to go to this big highbrow party. And they don't get invited, but at this time they refuse to remain on the margins anymore at this point and they crash the party with all of the uppity-ups. I want you to watch this clip.
1: Hide away, they say, cause we don't want your broken parts. I'm learning to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. For oh, we are glorious. When the sharpest words wanna cut me down, I'm gonna sing the blues.
0: sharpest words want to cut me down. I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave. I'm bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. What a picture of the gospel of the kingdom of God. We are people who were once on the outside, been renewed and accepted in Christ, and now we are accepted on the inside, being made glorious. Third point, biblical lesson, goes like this. God takes those with weakness and shame and crowns them with glory and honor. Can we say that together? God takes those with weakness and shame and crowns them with glory and honor. Now, the reason why we struggle to be this kind of church is because we don't see other people the way God sees them. In our sin, we tend to see people through the brokenness, When God says, no, when I see them, I see they are made in my image. They have sacred worth in my eyes. I see them now through the work of my son, Jesus Christ, who earned their acceptance and crowned them with glory and honor. How do you see people? You're serving on the relief bus or you're working at Feeding Hands. You see a person who's who's homeless. Walk right by them, right? No, no. God says, glorious, glorious. You see that? You're at senior lunch and there's a person there who has the beginning stages of dementia. You're not going to start a conversation with them. Pointless, right? No, no. God says, glorious. You're over there in the ed building. There's a child with special needs. Can't really speak to you. Not your problem, right? No, God says, glorious. You're at a small group and you interact with somebody who didn't vote like you did. You're going to send them a message of rejection, Right? Now God says, glorious. You're at men's breakfast. There's some guys there from the Market Street Mission. You're not going to talk to them, are you? God says, glorious. We need to recognize that the scriptures have this repeated theme. And the theme is this. The closer you get to the other, the closer you get to the outsider, the closer you get to the Lord Jesus Christ. The closer you get to the outsider, the closer you get to your Savior. Jesus left us with these final words. They're so simple, but sometimes we miss them. John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I know you've heard that verse before, but just notice those two words there just ass. When Jesus spoke these words, he was surrounded by 12 men who knew exactly what he meant when he said, just ass. Matthew, do you remember when we first met? Yes, sir. Do you remember what you were doing? Yes, sir. I do remember. I was a trader. I was a tax collector outside the circle for sure. Do you remember what I said to you? Yes, sir. You said, follow me when nobody else wanted anything to do with me. That's right, Matthew, the same love and grace I extended to you, I want you to extend that same love and grace to everybody you meet for the rest of your life. Hey, Nathaniel, do you remember when we first met? Do you remember what you said about me, Nazareth, Nazareth, and can anything good come out? Do you Remember when you said that? You insulted my whole family, my hometown? Yes, I remember, sir. What did I do after that? Sir, you never brought it up again. Instead, you invited me from the outside to be one of your closest followers. That's right, Nathaniel. That same love and grace I extended to you, I want you to extend that same love and grace to everybody you meet for the rest of your life. Peter, remember a couple days ago I said I was going to die? Remember you rebuked me in front of everybody else? You Remember the audacity you had there? Yes, sir, I remember. Did I reject you and put you on the outside for that? No, sir. That's right, I did not. I kept you right by my side, didn't I? And I always will. Now that same grace and love I extended toward you, I want you to extend that same grace and love toward everybody on the outside for the rest of your life. This is the message that we carry. It's the logical outworking of the the work of Christ on our behalf. It's not naive. It's just normal. It's not nuts. It's natural. It just makes sense. I'd like to invite the worship team forward as I draw out one more thing from the movie. At at the end of the movie, Barnum uh, experiences some uh, financial disaster. The the circus building actually burns down and he he goes through this period of bankruptcy and uh, he learns this valuable lesson. At, At the end, he learns that the greatest joys of his life were not chasing the cheers of the audiences or the fame of a roaring crowd. Instead, The ending scene is just him actually sitting in the audience this time just watching his two daughters do a dance recital. Let me put a picture of that on the screen. And he repeats those words from the very beginning. Looking at his two little girls, he just simply says, it's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here, right in front of you. That's the message of this movie. It's remembering what is most valuable other people. It's a reminder that what is often right in front of all of our eyes is what we overlook. The beauty of other people made in the image of God and he's placed them all around us. Can you imagine a church that valued other people like that? Can you imagine a community, a body of Christ who, who, who got that kind of vision for God's church? Can you imagine what a church like that would feel like? Can you imagine a church full of people who took seriously the most valuable, precious resource that God has to offer other people? Let's be that church. Amen? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, how grateful we are as we remember that we were once all on the outside, but you through your grace and through your love have brought us to the inside. We remember that we were, when we were alienated and estranged, uh, you made a way through your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and make us part of your own dear family. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Who are we to receive such love and such grace? All we can simply say is thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand together as we close in song?